Welcome to Love Talk, Love Talk for Everyday People. Hey, everybody, this is Tracy Hines, your host of Love Talk. With me tonight, I have my girl, Leslie Lee. What's up, Leslie? Hey, Tracy, how you doing? I am doing okay today. Feeling a little sluggish, but I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm under the weather, but I'm making it. I'm making it. It's a tough Sunday. It's a tough Sunday. Anyway, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to have you. So, you know, all week I've been thinking about what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? And there's this one topic that never gets old. So I figured this week we'd have a little conversation about sex. Um, Not necessarily the act of, but everything that is involved in getting to the act of and any kind of issues you have. So I went out and I kind of talked to a few people and tried to find someone that could kind of give an insight um, about sex. Because sex sells. Sex is big. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. It's definitely something that people talk about or don't talk about. The silence is just as deafening. That's true, you know, because it's it's prevalent. It's everywhere. Everywhere you go, everything you do, sex is somehow involved in, in that whole conversation or activity. How it came to that, I don't know, but it seems to be getting close. It seems to be being more and more involved than it has ever been in my entire life. I don't remember sex taking over my life when I was such a young girl. Maybe it was and I wasn't paying attention, but I don't know. I think our kids are now even exposed to the idea of sex much earlier than we were. Probably. You think I, mean, I think that it, I think it's just a natural, normal occurrence. Is what happens to you, the experiences, the take it from normal to something outside of that or something perverted or crazy when something bad happens to you or if you are in a situation where um, sex is just something that is is just a way to connect but there's no other connection. That's when sex starts to be bad. But I think it's normal. I think kids think about sex from birth. I mean, it's a normal reaction. I think Mm. our society is very uptight, the American society, as it relates to success. I mean, not success, sex. You go to other countries, other cultures, sex is is just a normal, everyday experience. Whereas here, it's it's taboo. You're considered a bad person if you you appear to enjoy sex too much or you're a prude if you don't enjoy sex enough. So striking the right balance. And And I never understand those. I never understand that, you know. Sex to me is is, is part of life, you know. It's almost like walking, you know. It's part of your life. This is what it's all about. That's how we all got here, you know. It's no mystery. None of us would have been here without the act of, you know. So I don't know why it's always... I always get creeped out when I used to think about my parents having sex. I'm like, ew, ew, ew. It bothers me. I don't know why. It's still just the thought of it. It just creeps me out. Like, ew, they don't do that. And I was yeah, but they do. Still... Yeah, well, I listen, my parents didn't do that, okay? Everybody else is parents. All right. All right. Live, live, live in denial. It's okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You can I'm live in denial. I'm be honest. I don't know if that's how my kids think about me and my husband. I don't know. But that right. thought just creeped me out. I didn't like it. And I was an adult, mm-hmm. and I didn't like it. I was a married woman in my own sexually fulfilling relationship, and I just didn't want to know that my parents did it. As a little kid, I did not want my father to touch my mother. Please don't do that. 
that never bothered me. And maybe because our experiences are different. You know, I don't remember my parents being living together. You know, I remember as my memory takes me back to as far as, you know, me being about five or four years old living in Long Island. Maybe in Queens I have memory, but I'm not sure if it's memory or conversation. So that never bothered me. And it's probably because our, our experience of difference. My parents weren't together. But, you know, I always thought that sex was the outcome of love. You know, I've always thought that. I know it isn't, and a lot of people use sex for different reasons and all of that. But I always felt that, like, it was an outcome of love. So to know that parents were still, you know, engaging there was some love there, some deep-rooted love, that was, and I always thought that was nice. But I can understand, you know, not thinking the same for your parents, you know. Anyway. It's my parents. Like, ew, they don't do it. No. <laughs> they're raising me. They're reprimanding me. They're spanking me. They're helping me live. They're not enjoying their own lives and, 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 exactly. and any of that. Stuff. Like, what? That's funny. It's very funny. Ew. So you know what else I always wonder? I always wonder, like, I don't know. It seems like early on in life, the act of sex between a man and a woman was always something sacred, you know, something that you you saved for the special moments. But now it seems like, you know, sex is is like eating M&Ms. It's no big deal. It's just, here, you want some? Here, have it. You think that way too? I don't think that, no, I don't think that, I think it's an individual choice. I think uh-huh. that nothing has changed with sex in terms of the way people think about it. I think some people are very responsible and some people are very irresponsible. And what we're hearing is is more people talking about the irresponsible side of being sexual. I think nothing, I don't think anything's changed. I think people still relate. I think, because, you know, it's easier to say that something, like there was a, a, a seismic shift in the way people think. I don't think people think differently. I think that it still occurs. It's still natural. There's a lot of hiccups in the road. There's a lot of bumps in the road while you're trying to figure out what's good for you, what feels good, who's good for you. And there's just a lot of bumps in the road. But I don't think anything dramatic changed from 20 or 30 years ago. No, I I don't know. It just seems like... I think people, they were experimenting. I mean, there was a different type of sexual revolution. 20 or 30 it just seems ago. like the whole idea of sex in this day and age is just so bizarre. But anyway, let me introduce our, our guest. You know, I met this woman on Facebook, actually. We're in this group called She Podcast. And um, she was there, and I just started talking to her, and she was a wonderful – I got a wonderful feeling from her. Like, she has been involved in the idea of talking and educating people about sex. So let me introduce her. I hope I pronounced her name well. Her name is Dr. – Nazanin Muali. I hope I got that right. She's a clinical psychologist and the host of Sexology Podcast. Dr. Moali is an expert in everything related to the psychology of food, sex, and drugs, and she has two private practices in Los Angeles. Hello. Did I pronounce your name right, Dr. Moali? You nailed it. Hello there. <laughs> hey. How are you? How are you? Good. I'm very excited to be here, and I'm very surprised that you pronounced my name very well. You have a talent for that because I know it's an unusual name. I'm Iranian, and I know uh, many people, it's hard for them to pronounce my name. <laughs> well, just so you know, I practiced for quite some time before the show because I didn't want to <laughs> stumble over your name. <laughs> so, I appreciate um, it. Thank you. Mike, say, the say it again, again, Leslie. 
Say her name again. For me? Yes. Dr. Muwali. I'm going to call you Dr. M, okay? Perfect. I'm not going to get it right. <laughs> you can call me Dr. M, Dr. Nas, whatever is comfortable for you. I'm That's my co-host, Leslie Lee. She is in uh, Maryland, and I in Florida. All right. Hi, Leslie. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So, she and I were kind of just kind of understanding, talking about sex a little bit this week. We want to understand, you know, what is the fascination with sex? You know, for me, I feel like sex nowadays is not sacred as it used to be or not cherished as it used to be. And it's more like eating M&Ms is what I said to Leslie. It's just passed out easily and simply. Do you see that in your practice or in different people that you talk to? I see it in the younger population that I work with. I work with lots of young women. And part of them, I feel, they, uh, they have this feeling that there's this pressure to be involved in this hookup culture and not be emotionally attached. So I certainly see it in that population, but with my like 30-year-old, 40-year-old, and older clients, I feel uh, for them especially, it's still something sacred, for many of them at least. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um, so, you know, we talk about relationships all the time and, and how sex plays into relationships. So I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you, starting out as, I'm single, and Leslie is married. She's in married for 30 years. So I want to start with myself in relationships. Is there some kind of guideline that you give single women going out there dating and where sex should play into their dating life, or is it an individual thought, how you feel personally? Definitely. I think that's an excellent question. I feel, as you mentioned, part of it is an individual, depending on the individual. But the other piece, I feel it's very important to know yourself. And what I mean by that is be aware of your sexuality as a big part of who you are. For most people, they don't know their erotic templates. Uh, At least with many of the clients that I work with, they grew up in the sex-negative families, culture, they haven't put that much thought into sexuality, so they don't know what they like, they're not quite know what turns them on, so I think it's important to kind of spend some time and reflect on what your erotic blueprints look like. That's a piece of that. And the other part that I always tell my clients is just to trust your intuition. Because I feel in these day and age, we hear that there's so much focus on masculine energy and kind of logic and those kind of things, which is valuable. But I think Mm -hmm. our intuition is a gift that we have. And we need to learn how to kind of harvest that energy as well. Okay. I think that what happens in this society, like we were saying earlier, Tracy, is that the American society, we put too much emphasis on who's perceived good or bad as it relates to sex. And if you enjoy sex or you can admit to enjoying sex, you're almost putting that bad category, like, how dare you? So now we're at this revolution or this place in time, especially women my age, my generation, where we're starting to feel okay and comfortable with saying what pleases us or what doesn't please us. Whereas I'd say like in the 70s, the 60s, 
50s, 60s, and 70s, it was almost like a taboo for a woman to even act like she enjoyed sex. Like, who are you? You, you, You're a freak, or there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I kind of feel like back then sex was just for the pleasure of men, you know? Right, and I heard about that. It's funny thing is the first book that I read was an erotic book. was like the book that my mom had, and I was like 12, 13, and the book was from... I think uh, early 60s and how in the book they were talking about how women showed that she enjoyed sex and how it was portrayed as a negative thing and there was this Mm -hmm. slut shaming and all of that. So I can only imagine how that must have been confusing for many women and kind of like caused this duality in their life. Well, you know, I kind of still feel that, that women, some women, some women are very open and they know exactly what they like, but I still feel like there's a, a, a big population of women today that go along for the ride. You know what I mean by that is they know they like sex, they know what they like, but they don't necessarily reveal that to their partner for feeling a little too forward or a little fast or some sort, but there really should be no shame in that. Do you agree, Dr. Molly? Absolutely, and I love when you mention that because what I see that many women they they explore with their sexuality. They are kind of reflected on that. They know what they like, but they don't reveal it to their partner. And they kind of expect that, like this partner, uh, he he has to know what I like. And the guy is sometimes is clueless because we all are so different. I always talk to my clients about how our erotic templates are like fingerprints. Not two fingerprints is identical. So unless you mm-hmm. talk to your partner, they, they might not know uh, what might turn you on, and you're losing in this opportunity of having this fantastic time. And sometimes people stay silent for years and years, and even I know many of my clients are fake orgasm, and they, like, pretend they enjoy sex, and, like, they get stuck in this, like, uh, loop of, uh, like, false information. You you think it has to do with with people just not being comfortable with saying to their partner, you know, I like it better when you touch me this way or that's too hard, sweetie. Can you soften it up and go a little slower? You know, how do you have those conversations? Is the time to have it in the act of making love or having sex or should this be a conversation that you have beforehand, you know, before you even get involved? How how do you address that? Right, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel that, a big part of it is our challenges with communication. Communications are mm-hmm. really hard. And as children and as teens, many people never learn talking about sex. So, like, you know, they are now in this situation that they know how to address the challenges. Certainly, I always tell my clients, do not talk about these things in bedroom. We want to kind of associate bedroom to fun time, good time, so definitely that's not the time to bring it up. I always kind of like encourage my clients to kind of talk about it outside the bedroom and kind of like first kind of start talking about what do you like? Like I'm sure your partner is doing something that they enjoy because sometimes I feel we kind of get stuck on just giving negative feedback. So kind of I would, mm-hmm. I always tell my clients to start with something you uh, like you like that your partner is doing, even if it's super, super like a, uh, insignificant could be like you know I like how you touch my hand how you hold my hand or anything and then you can say you know 
I would like it this way. Kind of instead of like kind of saying that this thing that you're doing is turn me off. Because when we kind of put it that way, sometimes women and men both, we get defensive. And right. many people with their sexuality, we didn't have enough sex education. So people, sometimes they feel insecure to start with. And if you're kind of playing it, uh, you know, when you do this, it's, it's painful, it turns me off, the person might get defensive and they might not want to hear you out. Okay. All right. So I always thought that it, in the bedroom is where you would have that, in the, in, in the act. You know, if something is going on that you're not comfortable with or you don't like while it's happening, that's when you should do some kind of gentle redirecting or gentle whispers to say, you know, whatever it is that's happening to, to try to change the, the action so it's something that's more pleasurable. But it makes sense to be outside of the bedroom. It makes a lot more sense. So no one gets offended that way. Right, but I love that you brought up another great point because if it's something is like aversive or something that's really painful in the moment, you want to be able to, you don't want to go along with it. You want to let your partner know right there. But if it's something that you want to kind of fine tune a skill, there's something that you can wait after sex, I would wait to give the person feedback afterwards. But you're absolutely right. If something is not working at all, you don't want to go along with it. Okay, okay. Um, there's a couple of other things I wanted to ask you. You know, I, I think about children a lot, not because I just worry about children, but when you think about children and sex, when is it time for you to talk to your children about sex, and how do you address that? It, does it depend on the maturity of the child, or do you start immediately, early on in life? So I, this is a question I get a lot, and I think it's just so important in this age for parents to talk to their children about sex because some of my clients, they kind of, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have and they kind of give it to the, like hand it to school to have that conversation. And that's not helpful because you want to make sure that you as a parent have this conversation with your children so and teens, it obviously uh, age appropriately so later on they're aware of your values and hopefully you can kind of like um, have the conversation about these things more openly. So I'm a big advocate. The earlier you start, the easier it is to continue that conversation. Obviously, with the young children, we don't, we're not going to talk about intercourse in the same way that we would talk about it with our teens. So the right, first right. Step, yeah, the first step I recommend parents to do, just call the genitals with their actual name. No nickname anything like that, and just like, because it's important to help children to develop a language for it. And then mm-hmm. as they, they mature, start talking about different things and can build up on that. And the other thing that's really important is the mad, like, issue around consent. Kind of talking to your children about, you know, you have the, your body is your body, and, you know, if there's something going on that you don't like it, let me know your body's like a temple, a temple. So all those kind of conversations. So I think, so they can come to you if there's a question in future. So I, I think the earlier, the better. And again, there are a number of great children books that talks about age-appropriate things when mm-hmm. it comes to sexuality. Because I feel many people, because their parents didn't have that conversation with them, they don't know right. how to have that conversation. And they kind of get stuck, and then they never talk about it. And then you have these teenagers that have no idea what it is or anything about sex or sexuality, and they go out into this world, 
and they start doing things that they have no idea what they're doing, and, you know, all kinds of things happen that you don't want them to be experienced. So, okay, good. Right. Talk about sex early on. I think it's right. important gonna... that you talk about yeah, sex ahead. early on because of the fact that we, we're we in a society where your kids are exposed earlier. And when I say exposed, you have to be very careful about family members, the outside influences, even at a young age. And if you start talking to your kids at an early age and what's a good touch as opposed to a bad touch, then they can easily start to identify if they're in some type of trouble that they need to alert you. I don't think mm-hmm. that that a lot of times when 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 you think of the bad side of what could happen, I don't think that the younger people were equipped or armed to have the conversation to say this was bad or something happened, knowing that it's bad. That's why all the secrecy continues to play out. Hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I love when you mentioned that, like, you know, talking to the children about good touch and bad touch, because sometimes because the child didn't have that relationship with the parents, they don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about things with their parents and kind of about those violations. And the other thing is many perpetrators, based on my experience, they use the language that mm-hmm. is a children language for genitals. So when your kid knows the language that's appropriate, that sometimes can be a red flag for the perpetrator saying, okay, this child is aware. So, you know, that can be also uh, kind of like uh, sometimes kind of discouraged and pursue it further. Mm -hmm. All right. So you have a podcast called uh, Sexology, okay? And it untangles the science of Tell me what that means, the science of sex. So I wanted to create this uh, podcast on psychology of sex, and I wanted to invite people who've done research in psychology of sex. There are sociologists, psychologists. I wanted to use things that are evidence-based, kind of provide things and conversation that's kind of research-based, because sometimes I feel there are so many inaccurate information on Internet. And, you know, mm-hmm. unless, you know, we know these are um, embedded in research and science coming from experts, you know, is I feel we cannot count on those information because you can find very random inaccurate information and some podcasts, some blogs. So I wanted to make sure that I'm providing information that's accurate but also do this lot. So I, I'm passionate about doing sex education because I feel we don't get information and accurate information. And many people get their sex education from pornography. And that just creates this unrealistic expectation around sexuality. And pornography is acting. So, I mean, that you, you don't want to act <laughs> is what I'm thinking. So <laughs> right. you said... You said earlier that everybody should know what they like. And how do you find out what you like? What do you do to figure out what you like so that you can tell your partner, this is what I like, this is what feels good for me? How do you figure that out? So I think first thing is giving permission to yourself that, you know, I'm, I'm a sexual person and sex is a positive thing. I know it sounds like a little bit off, but I feel people 
sometimes they have this negative feeling around their sexuality. They, they don't even give themselves permission to think about this thing. And then kind mm-hmm. of reflect on what was some of the emotions that you find erotic. And there are a range of things that people find erotic. What are some of the places that you enjoy uh, and you find them as a turn on? And it could be the places that you imagine in your fantasies or the places mm-hmm. that you had sex and it was fantastic and it was exciting. And what is there any part of the body that you find erotic? So there's this list of different things that I go down with my clients around emotion, body part, even the smell. Some people, mm-hmm. certain smell can turn them on. I know some of my clients, the smell of litters, a litter can turn them on. So there are a number of right. different things. I would go off, write everything down, kind of thinking back. Uh, and there's this researcher, um, John Money, that had this book and things published on 70s or 80s that just gives very good information around discovering your erotic blueprint and erotic uh, template. And he has a questionnaire in his book, which I recommend for your listeners to check it out. And so it gives you good information. But the world of sexuality these days are so diverse. And there is this list of uh, yes, no, and maybe that sometimes I offer to my clients that go, go with your partner, kind of go each person, go from a beginning to the down of the list, mark the one mm-hmm. that you, you find the turn on, think that right. it's absolutely no, and the maybes, and if there are things in this list that you you don't find, you don't know what it is, just Google it, and I think just the the more you discover things that turn you on, it can help you to kind of keep your life, sex life exciting. Okay. You know, it's interesting you say that because in the black community, I think sex is viewed, we have a way of demonizing and demoralizing the act of sex. A lot of people struggle between their religion and the act of sex what's considered good, what's considered a sin, what's bad, what's not. And it's so crazy and mixed up. So when you started out, Dr. M, and said, give yourself permission, I don't think a lot of people giving themselves permission to explore. I agree with that. We were raised on so many different, I don't want to say values, but, you know, so many different um understanding of what's good, what's bad, what's 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 wholesome, what's you know, and based on those stereotypes, based on those notions, you know, as adults, we're all messed up, we're screwed up because you remember going to church and good girls didn't do that, or you know, if you were religious, you wouldn't do that. So it, it's a lot to reconcile and trying to put away bad past. Um, I don't know. Negativity, I would say. I don't want to say values. Maybe it's negativity. Just putting away past notions uh, and and forgetting what you learned. It's like you got. It's like learning something over again. You know, there's nothing wrong with having over again. There's nothing wrong with having your values. You know, I understand that these are your values, and I'm not having sex until I'm married, and then I will explore with my husband. 
But even once you get married, I think what you were saying, Leslie, is that we have become, in, in the black community, so tight, pressed, that even with your husband after married, you won't go down certain avenues because you're not giving yourself permission to explore that because in your mind you want to remain the good girl. You know, well, good girls see, can have good you're sex. You're doing it, Trace. Trace, you're, you're kind of doing it by saying after marriage. People no, I'm sorry. Before I, marriage. No, 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 listen. I said even okay. if your values are to not have sex until after you're married, but once you are married and now you're free to have sex with your husband, this is, it, this is if this is what your values are. You still hold yourself to this, I don't want to go down this lane because I'm a good girl because that's what you were brought up thinking. I'm not saying for me. I'm just saying for those that have those values. I think they hide behind that, and that's when they, they can't give themselves permission to explore and enjoy because good girls do have good sex. Right, and I, I relate to what you say because I feel in Middle Eastern culture, I was uh, exposed, and my, many of my clients, they were exposed, uh, kind of exposed with the same kind of uh, pattern because, you know, early on, people developed this uh, for parents, because they don't want their uh, teenage girls to get in trouble, they kind of, like, sometimes they uh, kind of give all this information around pregnancy, STIs, and all that's mm-hmm. all the information that the young right. woman receives, and they kind of internalize this sh- feeling of shame around their right. sexuality. And the act of marriage, like signing a paper, this does not mean that those shame immediately gonna get dissolved. And this person, like I have, I say it all the time that then after marriage, all those shame can get in the uh, in the way of people enjoying and having fulfilling sex lives. So I agree with you guys. Okay. Um, so now let's talk about married. You know, you've been married for a number of years, and sex disappears. You know, you just, it's not happening. And I hear this over and over and over again. How do you direct people? I mean, I don't even know how that happens. Me personally, how sex disappears from a marriage. Maybe because I'm not married. Maybe, Leslie, you have more understanding of that. I mean, it, 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 after, being, after being married for 30 years, it's, I mean, we, we discussed this on um, other shows. It, it, it just, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. It's not a constant every day for 30 years, the most passionate sex that I've ever had in my life. That's a lie. That would be a lie. Some days it's off the hook. Some days it's just extremely passionate. And some days it's routine. And then some days it's like, I don't even feel like it. So after you've been in a relationship for relationship for such a long time, you go through so many different stages in your sex life. Do you see the same, Dr. Mulally? Unfortunately, yes. And uh, Leslie, I wanted to say that congratulations for at least <laughs> keeping the passion alive because sometimes I get uh, some couples that after like first decade of marriage, they stop having sex completely. And I see number of sexless marriages. I can like, I don't know, at least, Every other case that comes to my office is just a sex-starved marriage. And the issue, there are certain uh, challenges that contribute to that fact. I think not acknowledging it, not naming it with your partner is kind of contributing to the problem. Because what I see that 
you know, people stop having sex and they don't talk about it. And then that, that part, they feel like that part of the marriage is a lost cause. But it's just so important to put the sex life as a priority, as something that you have uh, in, like, put it on your calendar. Because, as you know, if it's not there, people mm. you might not kind of uh, follow up with it. You might not. Put, have it regularly and the less regular sex that you have with your partner you might drift away drift apart and I feel like when I tell clients that you need to put in a schedule they say oh my god Dr. Molly I don't I don't know I want the sex to be spontaneous but I don't know that when you when you were not putting it on the calendar we're not putting it on a schedule spontaneous sex is great but I think like it is important to have it as a routine part of the marriage. The other part that I hear a lot is kind of a challenges around resentment. So when your relationship suffers, when you don't like the partner, that can impact your sex life. But I see the other piece as well. I see people, they have this wonderful friendship for decades and decades. They just don't have the passion for each other anymore. And I think it is important to kind of see what's going on. What happened that this uh, that gave rise to this uh, uh, kind of challenge? Because one issue is sometimes people like have multiple times they have this sexual dysfunction. For example, the guy has issues with erection. Then after a few times, they feel so shameful that they're not acting on it. So if mm-hmm. there is a challenge definitely acknowledge it. For example, with many women that I see in my practice, sex becomes painful after pregnancy and giving birth. And then after a while, it's just hard for them to kind of have the sex. And some, so many people start having it less regularly. Or there are other reasons that a woman might have uh, experienced some pain. And if you're not addressing those issues, that might cause some issue in the relationship. So I feel it's important to see what is at the root of the uh, issue around sexuality and kind of address that. Sometimes it's infidelity. That's another one I see often, that one of the partner had sexual infidelity and the other Mm. partner might think, you know, we talked about it, we're over it, but emotionally and sexually, they hold this deep resentment. They want to let it go, but still that might get in the way of them getting connected with their partner sexually the way that they used to. Right, right. So the difference between sex, the act of, and intimacy, what, what is that? I mean, are you intimacy? Is there intimacy before the act of, or is it only while you're in the act of sex? How, how does intimacy come about? So the way I define intimacy, you can be intimate with someone and you might not even have this, have sexual relationships. So I feel it's a part, it's about being truly seen. So I see in animal kingdom, everyone is having sex, right? Like all animals, they're having sex. But we are, as humans at least, we're the only people, only uh, species that we all have the capa- uh, capability for eroticism. Kind of have this uh, sex that involves cognition and uh, kind of this spiritual aspect of it can can have multiple layers to it and intimacy. So I feel the way I see it, like I see sex, sex more as a, prime, a primal, uh, primal thing that we share with many other animals in the kingdom and then intimacy and 
uh, eroticism as another component that as a human being we are at least at this point we know that we are the only species that are capable of doing that okay um so my next question for you is tell me what role body image plays in good sex or bad sex or so the I lack thereof altogether image, yeah yeah is a core core of many of the challenges I see in individual because sometimes one of the couples that I have, for example, right now, I am thinking about them and the wife says like, you know, my husband doesn't make me feel desire. But when we got into the root of it, I think like no one can make you feel desirable unless you have the feeling of satisfaction about yourself. And, and, and trust me, it's hard. One of my area of specialty is uh, eating challenges and eating disorders. And I see that even as a young children, we get bombarded with this negative messages around our body and what mm -hmm. sexy looks like. We never hear about what sexy feels like, but what sexy looks like is not a reality for, I would say, like 70% of the population. We all have Agreed. diverse bodies, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, then we develop this, uh, many of my clients and even many of my friends, this like unhealthy habits around eating. And because we want to all reach those images. So unless we feel confident in our body, you know, it's challenging to feel sexy when you are with your partner. And that can definitely create a rupture in relationship. For example, uh, when I explore with my clients about, okay, what, is, what are some of the arguments around sex? For example, one of the clients were telling me, you know, my husband want to have sex when, uh, when the light is on. And I would kind of explore about what's what about, uh, you know, having light on is like a turnout for you. And she was telling me, I hate my body. I want to oh, hide I underneath the blanket, yeah. So that's so the light on is not good for her. Right. I can see that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, just like she hates her body and she, and again, it's the repeated story I hear that, you know, I don't want my partner to see my body or because I gained a few pounds after pregnancy or but can, can you teach not that? what I used to be. Can you teach um, body, body images? Is that something you can teach somebody or is that something that just has to come from within? some way, somehow, you know, how do you get to that place where you are okay with, you know, hips or a, a behind that has cellulite and you still feel sexy or breasts that may be uneven, one side is much bigger than the other. You know, how do you teach somebody to be okay with, with things that they perceive as flaws or not appealing? Right. I think, yes, that's something we can work on at. Part of it, it can be teaching, but be part of it kind of like talking about it. Because I feel many people are feeling so shameful about their body that they can mm -hmm. try to hide it. And they don't even talk about it with their partner. They don't talk about it with their friends. So it's important to talk about our insecurities and our challenges and people that we trust. Either if it's their therapist or group of trusted friends. And kind of talking about how sexy, what's the image of sexy is not achievable for people. One of the classes I teach is media literacy because I feel we, we get exposed to lots of inaccurate information and like with the Photoshop and all this editing 
in magazines. Right, the world would have you believe that everybody's got a perfect body, but that's not true. Exactly, and you're the only one that's like, you know, your breast is uneven, or you no matter what you're doing, your stomach is not flat enough, and it's just ridiculous. I was reading about this person online the other day that they were claimed to be on an air and sunshine diet. And they say, like, that's how I maintain. And it's just like ridiculousness <laughs> that's out there. And it's oh, yeah, just that's... like it's important to talk about these are like in a bunch of BS. That's crazy. Air and sunshine diet. So one other thing I have on my mind as, as I have you here, um, the big O, you know, the orgasm. Right. Does every experience have to end with an orgasm for it to be a wonderful experience? And if you don't orgasm all the time, does that automatically mean something is wrong with you? You know, how does orgasm play into the act of sex? Great question. So I think orgasm, so one thing is kind of depending on individual. I know many women, they, they have, they talk about how they have this satisfying relationship that does not necessarily and in orgasm all the time, and they're okay with it, they're enjoying it, they say I, it's a part of, it's about me connecting with my partner. Mm-hmm. But I think orgasms are the tricky ones, because I feel these days, we hear about all kinds of different orgasms, like vaginal orgasm, G-spot orgasm, uh, clitoral orgasm, and it's just about this, we created this hierarchy in the society mm-hmm. about, am I getting the right kind of orgasm? And uh, people, I know many women, they don't even know, like they don't have, they don't reach orgasm that frequently. So first thing that like, you know, in my training as sex educator and sex therapist I learned is that every single woman, if they want, they can reach orgasm. So I don't want someone thinking, you know, I, I don't have the capability of reaching orgasm. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, let's, let's slow this down a minute. You Go said ahead. in your training, Every single woman has the capability of reaching an orgasm. Right. And I love that because it just then, then it makes you wonder where is this discrepancy coming from? Because many women, they don't experience orgasm or it's not a common experience for them. So I can definitely go into why, why we have this discrepancy. Right. So because the other thing is there's this myth that women need to, or the, the, most women are able to get orgasm through vaginal penetration. The statistics shows that only about, I think, 10 to 20% of women can reach orgasm only by vaginal penetration. Most women need stimulation of clitoris. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you're less than. That's how, as a human, we are, we've been designed. And if you're not uh, uh, stimulating the clitoris in your partner or yourself before penetration or during penetration, you might not reach orgasm. And there are different. And then that's where, where that that's where that discrepancy comes in, where women think, you know, I never orgasm and I can't because maybe they're only thinking there's only one kind for them, the penetration. But there's also you said the clitoral. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing is that. The misconception and myth that many women learn about and their partner from pornography. Again, I'm not against pornography, but as 
as as Leslie was mentioning, I feel it's a movie set, and it is a movie set. So people thinking, okay, in this movie, people started penetration, and within five minutes, ten minutes, the woman reached right. orgasm. And that's, right. that's not, not how I see. Right. That's so unrealistic for most women that I know. Many women, they need to get at least, they, we have this rule in sex therapy, 20-20. So at least 20 minutes of foreplay in order for you to be in this place mentally, physically, that you can, uh, you know, you can start like moving towards penetration. So then the number mm-hmm. can be different for different people. But if you're right. starting a penetration in like minute four or five, you know, your body might not be ready or mentally you might not be ready to reach orgasm and there's nothing wrong I'm glad, with I'm glad you said mentally because, you know, I was always of the mindset that an orgasm is not just physical in the body. I think that in, in the mind, you have to be in a place mentally where you're so relaxed that everything has to be in line in order for you to reach your orgasm. It's not something that's just going to happen because he's a stud. You know, it, the woman takes some responsibility, I think, for her orgasm by being in the right place at the right time. When everything is working together, then it happens. Right, and I, it's just such an important uh, topic that you talk about, the kind of mental uh, readiness, because, you know, do we have this, dual model of arousal when one part mm-hmm. is your accelerator and the one part is bricks. So some people, accelerator are things that like, you know, how easy it is for you to get in the place of excitement. So right. for some women, it's, it's super fast to get to the place of excitement. But what's challenging, many people, they're not aware of their bricks. Bricks meaning like emotional challenges. You might have mm-hmm. a horrible day at work emotionally, and if you are like uh, your breaks are high, it's going to be challenging for you to be at a place to be at, that you can like get engaged sexually. And people have you are different based on their accelerators and their breaks. Some people mm-hmm. have super sensitive accelerators, and some people right. have super sensitive breaks. So depending on what kind of what type you are with your accelerators and breaks it might be more challenging for you to sh- change the context. For example, if you had a hard time at work, many men and women are able to kind of like separate it and get like, you know, be present in the bedroom. But for many people that they have sensitive breaks, it's going to be more mm-hmm. challenging. And it's important, as you mentioned, to address the mental piece. Maybe do some kind of ritual so it will help you to get out of that space and be more present. And be more present mentally, mind, body, and soul. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. A lot of information. A lot of information. So if there was one thing that you would give um, men advice on sex, what would it be? So I would, with men, I would recommend them to be do more of a um, foreplay. So I feel sometimes men, and again, not all men, but some of them, they kind of think women, uh, men, uh, women are, are functioning in the same kind of mode. They're usually are easy, it's easier for them to, uh, sh- like, you know, shift gears faster. So it's important mm-hmm. for, uh, I think it's important for them to be mindful of, okay, my partner may need 20 minutes or 30 minutes 
to get in the mood and you know i i need to support her to uh to get in the mood this today so it, if it means like giving her a massage or being more gentle and i think just not taking like the the saying no as a rejection because that's mm-hmm. how i see that many of the relationships get kind of in this negative zone because you know the woman might not be, and again, I'm not stereotype uh, like typing women, but I'm thinking about that's a pattern I see that the women might not be in the right place to get engaged sexually, right, and they right. say no, and the husband gets angry, they feel rejected, and then like after multiple times that that happens, they kind of they kind of want to kind of dis- disengage from the relationship. So I think it's important mm-hmm. to kind of not see it as a rejection kind of see it as a problem solving. What can I do to may help her to get in the mood? Okay. You know, Leslie has mentioned on a number of occasions that the foreplay doesn't start, you know, 10 or 15 minutes before the act. The foreplay starts all day, you know, calling your wife or your husband and, and saying cute little sexy things or sending pictures or, or just being, you know, extra kind and sweet and lovable is where the foreplay begins. And then by the time you're home, you know, you've already set the stage for, I can't wait to see this one or that one and, and, you know, have a good time together. Are you of that same mindset that foreplay begins way in advance of the act? Absolutely. No wonder, Leslie, you have it. (laughs) Passion going in your relationship because that is so true because I feel like most people, the text messages they get from their spouse, like, did you do your chore? Where are you? Instead of kind of getting this encouraging, sexy text messages that kind of keep the fire going all day. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, I agree with you. Okay. I mean, I can right. say where basically for me, when I know that I'm definitely not interested in sex and we're not fighting, we're not quarreling or anything, I have to always check in with myself. Like, Physically, do I feel well? Mentally, am I stressed? It's something that I'm going through that would make me lack sex or not want to have sex. And I have to check in with myself. Like I was telling Tracy this week, I just don't feel well. I haven't been feeling well all week, going to to work, still trying to, you know, push your way through because you have responsibilities. And then when you come home, by the end of the day, you're just so tired. I just don't feel well. So I'm not checking in. And... After 30 years, I think my husband knows, like, okay, she she doesn't feel good. Let me leave her alone. Let me make her a cup of hot tea, whatever, because I just don't feel well. And it's not mm-hmm. personal. Right, okay. and communicating is very important. I love that now you guys have this mutual understanding that, you know, if something is not, uh, you are struggling with something with yourself, whether you're tired or not from work, that's something that, you know, a little bit of space can be helpful. So I think that's a great strategy. And what advice would you give to women? So to women, I I recommend them to kind of be proactive. Share with their partner about what turns them on. Give them those information because, again, the good news is now many women, they kind of experimented with their bodies. They know what they like. And don't kind of take your uh, take the your uh, sexual pleasure on your hand by telling that to your partner, your husband, talking about what turns you on, 
and you know what what's not working for you and the other thing is back to what Leslie said like one of the challenges that I see with many women that with these days with the demand of the work with children we are are exhausted and we're not mm-hmm. doing things to take care of ourselves so if I'm exhausted if I'm at a place that I'm already stressed out I don't want to have sex so kind of have these self-care things in place so it will help you to kind of um, calm down, reduce your anxiety when you're at home, when you're with your partner, then you'll be at a better place to connect emotionally and sexually. All right. So my takeaway from tonight, which is just all, talk all about sex, is that sex is not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. And um, you should know what you like and share that with your partner. And um, work on the body images, you know, work on what you think your body image, the negative body images, because all bodies are beautiful. There's some beauty in everybody as far as I'm concerned. So, Dr. Mawali, if anybody needs to get in touch with you, can you tell us how they can do that? Sure, they can uh, check my uh, private practice website, which is oasis2care.com. I have topics, uh, blogs, posts on um, eating challenges, body image, sexuality, or they can check out my podcast, sexologypodcast.com. And this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. It was a pleasure having you. And uh, if we have more questions about sex, at least we know where to go to get the answers to, right? Awesome. Yes. yes. This was so much fun. And thank you for your open mind and allowing me to share my passion with your listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. M. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. So, Leslie, did you learn a lot? Um, I it, She said things that I know and I've heard over the course of years. I don't know if I've learned anything new, but I'm always receptive to hearing it in different ways. Yeah, I enjoyed the conversation. I really did. I definitely well, this enjoyed is love the talk. conversation. Well, this is Love Talk, Love Talk for Everyday People. We thank you for listening, and have a good evening. Good night. Good night. You say I can try.